Good morning, TCC. Um, Lara and I, uh, we have decided, since COVID is kind of eating up a lot of the things that we would normally be able to do and, and normally be comfortable with doing, we've kind of decided to start watching through the Marvel movies. <laughs> and, and so we started with, uh, with Captain America, the very first one, and then we went into Iron Man. And I think one of the most interesting things about the Marvel movies, if you like them, if you don't like them, I'm sorry I'm talking about them, but if you like them, one of the most interesting parts of it is the fact that Tony Stark in Iron Man is just a normal person. Normal in quotations, he's quite wealthy, and, and he has access to all this stuff. But at the end of the day, he's just a normal person. And I think that's one of the interesting things about Marvel and about the way that they tell these stories of these characters is they are using real people, people who have flaws, people who can be arrogant, who, people who can make the wrong decisions and then have to deal with the consequences and I think that's why I love the story of David. And, and, and by what I mean by that is I love the real human nature of David's story. David's story, as we're going to find out, is full of messiness, of sin. But in the same way of all this bad stuff, he also has high highs. He is, the story is full of triumphs. And if that isn't a story that we personally can identify with, man, I, I don't know what is. Today, I want to look at how God not only knew David, but chose David. He chose him to be the next king. He's not randomly selected to be king, nor is he the kind of person that the most of the nation of Israel would choose or have chosen to be their king. His one credential that he has going for him upon the selection as next king is that God is choosing him. God says to Samuel, he is the one. He is chosen by God. And this is dynamically different than King Saul, who David is about to replace in, in a few, few, uh, in, in a while actually. Saul was this towering man, as we learned about. He's, he has lots of strengths. And as described a few chapters back, we also read that he's a pretty good warrior as well. And yet, as we just read, Samuel is being told by God to not base his decisions on worldly qualities. So if, that, if Samuel's not to base his judgments off worldly qualities, what, what qualities does David have that makes him fit to be king? Well, as we found out last week, we know that he is going to be, or rather he is, a man after God's own heart. A pretty good description. I think one that we would all say, man, I want to be a man after God's own heart. Man, I want to be a woman after God's own heart. It's a good description to have, one which I believe we would all say we want that. We want to be known by that. But what exactly does it mean to have a heart that's after God? As we continue through this series, we will learn more about David. We will find out that he has many qualities that actually make him a great king. And first of all, we start at that point of 
He has a heart after God. And today, one of the qualities that kind of describe David is that David is humble. David was a humble man. And then after we touch on that this morning, I want to kind of shift our focus to what I really want to talk about. And that's another quality that David has, as we just said before. David has been chosen by God. That's, that's really the quality I want to look at today and focus on. But let's start talking about how David was humble. And let's start by looking at how Saul and David, how, what were the differences between them? This will help us to understand why God has actually chosen David. Saul was known for his arrogance, the direct opposite of David's humbleness. And arrogance and humbleness really are two sides of a different thing. They are absolutely the opposite. In fact, many of the sins that Saul commits were due to the very fact that he was arrogant. The Bible, the Bible project summarizes this well. In essence, it says... Saul's root character flaw is self-exaltation and self-deception. He thinks he knows better than everyone else, including God. The biggest tragedy is that he's not even aware of it. The story shows that he is completely blind to his arrogance and always believes that he is in the right. As Saul's story progresses, the mistakes get bigger and bigger. And alongside that, the stakes get higher. Somehow, he is never able to own what wrong he has done, even when it's pointed out to him. Whereas when we look at David, we see many examples of his humbleness, never mind who he is and where he's from. And we start right away with the fact that David is the youngest in his family. First, we know that birth order matters. We have some of this understanding in modern modern times. There's a lot of research into that, that make up who you are with where you are in birth order. It affects a lot of that. It affects a lot of who you are. But in ancient times, this is even more the case. There are a lot of differences between the oldest and the youngest, and even the oldest and the rest of the siblings, never mind just the youngest. There were a lot of great expectations placed upon the eldest son. The eldest sons were also given this this huge blessing, this great inheritance that was given to them from the family. This is also why when Jesse, as we just had read to us, is presenting his sons... They appear before Samuel in order of age. And so David, being the youngest, is already set up to be the one who is the least important, at least in this ritual. And he's set as the least important in the family. And as Samuel sees each of Jesse's sons, he knows that they are not the chosen king. And so what do we learn first about David and his birth order is that he is in a humble spot. In his birth order. Further, where is David in this moment? Well, David isn't even invited to the sacrifice with Samuel. He is either forgotten about or left to do the work, <clears throat> excuse me, to do the work while his older brothers participate in the sacrifice that Samuel had invited them to. Even the job that David is doing is, is, is the least praiseworthy job out of the jobs that Jesse's sons have. And as the youngest sibling, David, well, I feel your pain. The chores I got given as opposed to my older brothers were 
garbage. That's literally what they were, was me picking up garbage in the back alley behind our house. And then even when I came to my dad and said, Dad, look, I did what you told me to do. I picked up all the garbage from behind our house in the back alley. He said, great, now go through the whole back alley and do it. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) David is also, as we know and read, he's from Bethlehem, which itself is quite a humble and unexpected place. Just this small city, somewhat near Jerusalem, Jerusalem being the city of great importance, and and even to this day it's important, and also Jerusalem is the capital city of Judah. So David's hometown is humble and unexpected. It's kind of like Bethlehem was Red Deer or Calgary. I mean, come on, let's be honest, there's no Edmonton. Who wants to tell people they're from Calgary? Okay, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Back to David's story. So David is the youngest out of his siblings, and he's doing the work that no one really wants to do. He's from this humble city, and further, as we will continue to learn about David throughout our series, we will learn that his communication even with God is humble. He doesn't always, have, doesn't always do the right thing, doesn't always say the right thing. However, what we see in David is this example of, of, of a great life that when he sins, when he, when he struggles, or, or even when he is rejoicing, we find time and time again that David makes his way to God, and he either cries out to God or he is rejoicing to God and celebrating that. I mean, that is what the book of Psalms is, is all about. It's a book full of David's letters and songs to God. And he uses that as a way to humble himself before God. And as I just said, he does it in every situation and in every season of his life. Humbleness is what marks David's life. He lives a life of humility before others and before God. It is something that particularly marks David's life as set apart especially when we look at King Saul. They are dynamically different. And there are so many other attributes that also mark David and and make him stand out as a great leader. It is why Saul and David are played as direct opposites in 1 Samuel. And we see through this that God is not looking at what people of that time were looking for in a leader. And even to this day, we are often attracted to leaders who are strong and who are kind of towering figures, people that we can look to and aspire to. But this is part of the great attributes of God. He doesn't judge based on outward appearance. He is looking for something more important. Like, how is our heart? And Cheryl did a great job of explaining that. God is looking at our inner being. God looks first and foremost at things of the Spirit. And in this way, he reminds Samuel, let's now tie this back into our message here, into our passage. He reminds Samuel not to judge based on outward appearance. He reminds Samuel there is something more important than that. Things of the Spirit matter more. And God, even, even in this, he's, God is doing something more. He, he is doing something amazing. 
behind the scenes. He is revealing to us as readers of the scripture this amazing detail that God knows us. He knows us by name and further, he knows your heart. He knows each of our hearts. He knows who David is. Even before David enters the scene, he knows all about him and he knows where David is going to go. He knows that David is humble and he knows that David will choose to do life with him, with God. So when Jesse's first son comes onto the scene, Samuel is literally hearing from God and God is saying to him in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. Look at even, even the description of Elab. Look at his, his description. It sounds like Saul's description. God is saying, hey, we're not looking for someone who is the same as Saul. We're not going to replace him with the same type of person. I'm about to do something different. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it, it continues from there. And it says that God does not look at things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when we have Jesse's sons presented to Samuel, one by one they come, and yet one by one they go. It isn't until Samuel asked Jesse, Hey, do you have any other sons? Because these aren't the ones. And we get to see God do something here. God is going to pick someone that is different. And so Jesse says he does. He lets Samuel know that there's the youngest one still. And so the youngest one comes on the scene. And God, speaking to Samuel, says, He is the one. He will be your next king. But up until this point, we don't know anything about David. We don't even actually even know his name in, in Scripture yet. It isn't given. And in Eugene Peterson's book, which, fair warning, Pastor Norb warned you, we're going to talk about this a lot. <laughs> Eugene Peterson says, In this narration of the selection and anointing of David, his personal name is withheld until the very end, giving it a special place of prominence. That name, David, enters our history then. It will be repeated more than 600 times in the Old Testament and another 60 times in the New. The personal name is the seed that germinates and grows into the personal story. In this way, story as a way of speech quietly insists that all truth is personal and relational. God deals with persons, named persons, not numbers or abstractions or goals or plans. David's name, not his role or position, is the final word in this initial story of his life. I love that quote. Even as reading it, I was like, man, that's good. And what we see through, through this and what we see through, through the story that's being told to us in, in 1 Samuel is that your name is who you are. It is your identity. And to God, he sees you not just as another person in the world, but rather he knows your name. And further, he knows everything about you. And this is the crazy thing for me, is that he knows the good in your life as much as he knows the bad. And he even knows the secrets that you keep hidden. 
if you do that. And, and even then, he still calls you. He still chooses you, and he wants you. What an amazing truth that is in Scripture. What an amazing truth that God has in his heart for each of us. This, this gem of truth is that God is showing us when he chooses David is, is very simple. It's this. It's not about us. God can do, God can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things through them. Praise God, because I am definitely an ordinary person. David is one example of this, and here is where I want to camp out this morning. Here is where I really want us to focus. It's an important truth that we can sometimes forget, that God can do extraordinary things in the world around you through you. What we see in this short passage of scripture is that God hasn't just cast a net saying, well, whoever I get, I get. Nor does God only choose the people that are going to be the best. Very often in scripture, he doesn't choose the best person for the job. I mean, if we look at Moses, why does God choose Moses? It's because of Moses's heart. Moses is not the right person for the job. He has a lot of stuff going on, including a speech impediment. And yet God chooses Moses, and God chooses David, and God chooses you. This is why when Saul is is getting removed from being king, God wants to choose a king who is going to rely on him who is going to humble themselves before their true king, which is him. It's, it's God. David's story is proof of just that. God can and wants to do life with you. He wants what's best for you, for your life, and for the life of others who you have influence with. David's story is a story, if we're honest, full of conflict for us. Because it's a story that we can very easily apply to our own lives. And it can be hard for us to fully understand and fully comprehend that God wants to use us for mighty things in the world. That God can use us to bring forth his plan and his purpose in the world. And very often we end up asking ourselves, God, why, why us? Why, why me? God, why them? But in the same regard, why David? <laughs> David is just this humble, unexpected, young, youngest sibling who is still a young boy in this story when all these plans go into motion. It would have been so easy for God to use Elab, who is David's oldest brother. Even Samuel, when he, when he saw Elab, thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here. It is easy for us to get caught up in that kind of thinking. I still remember the conflict that I had when I was applying for Bible college. I remember the nights battling within myself in preparation for that. I remember questioning myself time and time again. Who am I that people will want to learn from me? Why would God want to use me? But you know what? Even in those moments of doubt, God kept using his word, using the Bible to speak to me. God went on to use other people to reaffirm that calling in my life. 
And even in moments of my day-to-day life, much like you guys, where I get the opportunities to share my faith with others, outside of these walls and outside of the parameters of my work, I feel the conflict of, God, why would you choose me in this moment to say something? That stirring in my spirit where God is saying, I want you to share the gospel with that person. I want you to be love to that person. And Lara can confirm this (laughs) because this happens like every time, I promise you. Whenever I go to get a haircut, I need to start praying. (laughs) Every time I sit down and I'm getting my haircut, I would say like 90% of the time, one of the first things that they say, and I say first, uh, they say that first because it happens every time regardless, but 90% of the time it happens right away that they ask, so what do you do for work? My first response is, well, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. And that's quickly followed with, a, a youth pastor? Sorry, what is that? And then I explain, and they're like, oh, okay, so you're, you're a pastor. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's what I said. But yeah, yeah, definitely. And then this leads to so many questions. Questions about my faith. Questions about why I believe this. Questions about like hard things where it's like, so what does sin really mean? How, why do we sin? And I'm like, that's a good question (laughs) and even this last time when I got a haircut I was sitting in the chair and the guy was cutting my hair and so he asked me so so what do you do for work and I said yeah I'm a youth pastor he's like oh that's interesting I was like and then he's like so what's the hardest question you get asked and I was like oh that (laughs) like that's a hard question to answer there's a lot of hard questions I get I get asked and then through that haircut, we had this amazing conversation about faith. And, and I found out that he was a, a believer in, in, in the Muslim faith and, and tradition. And so he was sharing, to, sharing his story with me and his faith with me. And we just had this amazing opportunity to, for, for me to share the gospel with him and for him to share his beliefs with me as well. And so if you this morning are, are struggling with understanding that God wants to use you, First of all, you're not alone. <laughs> it is a tough thing to fully understand that God wants to use you wherever you are at your work, with your friends, going shopping, getting your hair cut, that God wants to use you to bring forth the gospel to others. But it's, it's, it's also so hard to understand that even. God, what do you, what do you want to use my life for? And this morning, if you, if you're, if you are, if you're here in person or, or listening online, you are not listening or participating by accident. This morning is a God-ordained moment. God is, is saying to you this, I have chosen you. I want you to know that I, the God of the universe and creator of everything, including you, I made you, that I love you. That is what God is constantly saying over us. I love you. I have chosen you. God deeply wants to do life with you. He is calling you in the same respect that he called David as well. Jesus died for you on the cross. You're not here this morning on this earth by accident. You are his beloved. He wants to do life with you. You are his chosen son, and you are his chosen daughter. 
The enemy so deeply desires for us to forget that, to lose focus on that. He wants us to think that all of this is happenstance. He wants you to lose track of your mission here on earth, which, by the way, is to live a life full of God's presence. And he wants you to be on mission sharing the gospel with your actions and with your words. The enemy, ultimately, he wants you to forget that you are a son and daughter of the king. He wants you and me to get so caught up and consumed by the world's busyness and the distractions that we so far too often get caught up in. When we read scripture, we get this description of the enemy as a roaming lion looking to pick off off the lost sheep. He is wanting you to feel isolated from your church and your community, especially in this season. This season that that we're in right now with COVID is a season of isolation. And man, the enemy is wanting to use it. He wants you to lose track of your way and of your vision. And he is waiting for his moment to strike and tear you to pieces. That's the reality that's in Scripture. And as potentially scary as a visual that that is, and and it can be, it can be a really scary vision or a visual. Because I know that there are people in this room listening listening online that are even thinking right now, and, and this is the picture that God gave me as I was preparing my sermon this morning, that some of you are thinking and feeling so isolated, so frustrated. Maybe you feel like, like hope has left you. That there is no way that God could still choose you, could still use you. Maybe you feel like you have failed too many times, that you are too far gone. And if that is you, that is not where you need to stay. That is not how you need to feel Sometimes we forget just how high a price that God paid for us. God paid the price for you with his life. That's your worth. You were worth saving so much so that God paid the price with his life. So if you identify as kind of a lost sheep right now, know that we have a God who is a good shepherd. He isn't a shepherd content with the 99 sheep when one is lost. What does is, what is the passage say in John chapter 10? It says that he is a good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Further in Matthew 18, Jesus says that a good shepherd will leave the 99 sheep and go track down that lost one. And not only protect it, but save it and rescue it and bring it back to the fold. Amen? Our God, your God, is a mighty warrior. He sees you and he is on his way to track you down and rescue you. Some of you are needing to hear this this morning. Our God is saying to you, this message is for you. I have found you. I have found a way to speak to you and a way that you will hear my voice. I know your name. You are not forgotten. No, you are chosen. So what what does that mean? 
means that you have a choice. The same choice that will be presented to David in the coming weeks. Let me give you a little sneak peek. As we continue to read and learn about David in the weeks to come, you will hear about these weird and amazing moments where God presents opportunities for David. And through it, he has a choice. The choice very simply is this. Will he respond to God and follow him and trust him or will he not? And even in David's moments of sin and weakness, where he fails to choose God's calling, David chooses then to repent and submit himself to God's call and plan for his life. And we all have that same choice today. God is calling out to you right now, asking for you to place your trust in him, to follow him back to the fold. He knows your name. He knows your calling. Don't let Satan deceive you and pull you away from where and what you're called to. That is what, <laughs> that is what and when I prayed this morning, what I felt this whole message was supposed to be like, about This whole time as I was preparing this sermon, I was struggling because I kept feeling like God was just saying, this is what you need to say. And I'm like, okay, I need to make sure I say that as best I possibly can. I know from talking to many students and and, and many friends that they feel lost and without a purpose, especially in this season. So let me give us, us all three practical tools to respond to God. Three Three ways in which are good reminder for all of us, even if you don't feel like that lost sheep, but especially if you are feeling like that lost sheep. The first tool I've, I've just titled very simply, Connect. If you feel God calling you to get you back to the fold, you need to follow up with a godly man or woman. We have many godly men and women in our church and on our staff team. Please, I I implore you, don't wait another day to reach out and connect, to start up a conversation with someone. It is so important to do that. We aren't designed to do life on our own. In fact, that was never the way that we were intended to, to do life. We were created in community and we are placed in community. And so if you are feeling isolated in this time, please reach out. We desire to be a church who does life together. And this leads me directly into my second point. Secondly, please don't try and to do faith on your, uh, uh, sorry, please don't try and do faith alone. We have many practical opportunities to help you in your life, to do life with others. We have many ways in which you can do life with others. We call them small groups. We call them triads. We call it ladies refresh. We call it men's prayer. We call it equip class, young adults, and I'm pretty fond of the last one, youth group. (laughs) There are so many ways to get involved. And if you are doing well, if you feel like, "I, I know I'm actually not feeling like that lost sheep. I feel like I know God's plan and calling in my life. Start giving that back to other people who need to hear it. We need you to be involved in those groups. We need small group leaders. We need ladies and men to help out and serve in the different ministries because we have a lot of people we need to reach. 
It's time for you. If you are spiritually mature, if you are feeling like you have a good grasp on this, it is time for you to start serving and connecting and and giving back. We have a need for more leaders in this church. We want to be a church that multiplies. And what I mean by that is that we want people who know how to do life with Christ well to teach others to do life with Christ well as well. And then from there, we want those people who get that to go on and tell other people. This is the whole gospel, disciples making disciples who make disciples. We want to be a community of believers who bring the gospel to those around us. How amazing would it be to see Terwilliger Community Church and even Terwilliger Town as a community of Christ followers? How amazing would that be? It's a funny thing when we get involved with other people, when we get into each other's lives, when we get involved in a small group or something like that. It gives you opportunities just to naturally do life together, to hold one another up and build up the kingdom of God. And this leads me to, again, another tool. The third tool is called devoted times. And by that, to to really simply explain it, it just means prayer, times of silence, and times of devotions, or you can use the word times in Scripture. It can be hard to sometimes hear God's voice. I don't know about you, but I often find myself filling my days with just stuff. So I go from task to task, thing to thing, and even in downtime, I'm like, well, that's my opportunity to do the stuff that I like to do with my downtime. It's hard sometimes to spend time with God when we don't schedule it in. It is time to start taking our faith more seriously. More than ever before, our world is hurting. There are people who are searching for truth more than ever before. Our world is looking for us to be the body of church, the body of believers. And this includes many people even, even in this room who need to know that they are loved, that a God is pursuing them. Our world really is hurting. People are searching for truth and they are searching for answers. And we have a Bible full of truth and a Bible full of answers because it is given to us by a God who is truth. I find there's something interesting with prayer. I think very often we find ourselves praying and just talking the whole time. And then as soon as prayer is done, we kind of stop, shut down, and move on to the next thing without giving an opportunity to be still and silent before God. I am learning the practice. And I say learning because it's, it's a journey. It's something that I haven't fully got there yet. But I'm finding that the practice of after praying, staying silent for a moment, listening and waiting for God to speak back to me is becoming an important thing in my life. I think far too often we forget that prayer, its basic meaning is a conversation. We are talking with God and in the same respect, God is actually talking back to us. But sometimes we just move from thing to thing and we skip that. We need to allow him time to speak back to us. One of, again, one of the prayers that we have for us as a church is that we would be a people of prayer. And those are the three tools. 
So the three tools, again, are connect with others, be willing to let your guard down. We all need to do this life together. We do that best when we're vulnerable and honest. Second, get involved in your church body. Be a part of the community here. Get involved in the different things that we are doing so that you can, A, be a part of that, but also learn and grow and take that learning and growing and give it to other people. Fill your cup so that you can fill other people's cups. And then last, again, make sure that you are making time for devotions, make, making time for prayer. Dig into Scripture. Talk with others. Pray and ask God to speak to you. Then follow that up with actually st- stilling yourself, quieting yourself, and giving God a moment to speak back to you. As Christians, we are called to live out our faith each day. And we simply do that by first recognizing that we are known and that we are chosen by God. Don't forget it. God knows you and he still loves you even though he knows you. So live your faith boldly. Do this in word and in deed. Let's live lives that show the world around us that, that like us, they are also chosen by God. God has called them to himself in the same way that he calls your name and chooses you. It's a pretty amazing thing that God knows everyone by name, but that's the miraculous nature of our God. He loves everyone, and he paid the price for each of our sins when he died on the cross. But in the same way, he also rose to life three days later for each and every one of us so that we could do life with him in the same way now as it will be when we leave this earth and are joined with him in his presence. This morning, we have an opportunity to proclaim just that, to proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection, and we do this through communion. And before we move into communion, I want to give us a very practical opportunity to respond to God, and, and maybe if he said something to you through this message, to actually take a moment to pray with him about that. So in a, in a few minutes, sorry, I'm going to give us a few minutes here in a second just to pray quietly, to ready our hearts, and practically give God an opportunity to speak to us. Let's do that now. Jesus said, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The Apostle Paul tells us that on the night on which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks saying, this is my body in the same way, sorry, this is my body in which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul goes on to tell us that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul then reminds us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes again. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and and God, I thank you that you have chosen us. God, that you, you know our name. You know all about us, God. And you proclaim that you love us. God, I, I pray for those of us who, who maybe are feeling a little bit of distance right now, who are maybe feeling that maybe we are the lost sheep, God, I pray and, and proclaim that, that, God, you see them, that you know them, and that you are trying and, and, and are rescuing them very much so. God, I thank you that your love never ends, never runs out, never runs dry. So God, I pray for for each of us as we go about our day today that we would be reminded of your love and of the assurance that you are our Father. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.